0: We're back in Thessalonians today, and in our passage, Paul urges us to live in a way that pleases God more and more, and he starts with our sexuality. Uh, In the first part of this letter, uh, Paul shared his affections for the Thessalonians, his concern for them, uh, his joy over how well they were doing. Uh, It's very personal, uh, very much about their relationship And because Paul loved them so much, he cared deeply about their spiritual growth and well-being. And he measures that by how they are pleasing God or to what degree they are pleasing God. So he begins, finally, brothers and sisters, we urge you in the Lord Jesus to live in a way that pleases God just as we have taught you. You are already doing this, but we encourage you to do so even more and more. Uh, We are saved, you and I, all of us, each and every one of us are saved to live in a way that pleases God and to do that more and more up to the end of life. That is to become the driving motive and purpose of your life. Uh, The Christian life is not merely uh, rules or rituals or beliefs. It is pleasing someone. It is pleasing God. And then increasing in doing that day, every day, uh, every week, every month, every year. And this is called sanctification. Uh, verse 2 says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Uh, sanctification is the work of the Holy Spirit in you to deliver you from the pollution of sin and to set you out completely for God. To set you apart from sin and for God. Sanctification is the work of the Holy Spirit to work in you a way of living that pleases God. Philippians 213, one of the more modern translations says, For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. Forgiveness of sins, having our sins washed away, is amazing and it's glorious. And we should always sing about that. We should always give thanks for that. It's something that is profound and Uh, It's something we never get over, but it is just the beginning. Uh, God wants nothing less than a complete renovation of your life. Paul said, put off the old self, corrupted by its deceitful desires, and put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And so this process uh, is to be going on in every part of your life. At the end of this same book of Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians, Paul prayed, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your entire spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So your sanctification affects what you do with your body as we are going to talk about mainly this morning. But it also affects what you do in your attitudes. It it affects the, the inner disposition of your heart, your spirit, and your soul. It means becoming holy in your attitudes, your thoughts, your desires, your personality. Everything about you is touched by God and made holy by God. And so that's the reason that we are called upon in Scripture to uh, put to death outward sins like sexual immorality, which we're going to talk about this morning, but also sins like uh, cursing, swearing, lying, stealing, drunkenness, gossip, grumbling. All of those outward things, but also inward sins or things of the spirit and soul. We are to put to, put to death things like pride and jealousy Uh, bad attitudes, uh, self-pity, bitterness, and so on. And then we increasingly and more consistently manifest the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Things like love and joy and peace, gentleness, kindness, as well as other things like giving praise, learning to worship God, walking in overflowing gratitude and thankfulness, and, and so on. It's a transformation of your body, your soul, and your spirit. The Christian life is not just a matter of cleaning up a few big, outward, or more noticeable noticeable sins or bad habits or addictions, and then just kind of settling for that. Paul uh, makes it clear that you can, that we can, and should grow in pleasing God more and more. Uh, It's a sad thing, but some can be in church for a long time and still think and talk and live much the way they did at the very first, and that just—that's a problem. You know, it's—it's it's not right, as James would say. These things ought not to be, brothers. Uh, so we want to be uh, passionate about pleasing God more. We want to be passionate about becoming sanctified people uh, we want to be passionate about being becoming holy uh, people for God now one of the things that helps us know what pleases God is teaching or instruction and that's what Paul said here in verse 2 for you know what instructions we gave you through our Lord Jesus Christ and there's an underlying assumption in this whole passage that we're going to teach you this morning But this is is stuff Paul already taught them. Uh, He was only with them, some uh, scholars think, at the very most for six months. Some think shorter than that. But he had already taught them all this stuff about sexual purity. Uh, So he says, for you know what instructions we gave you through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we have the inward leading of the Holy Spirit and the outward instruction of the Word to tell us, What pleases the Father. And Paul said, The Lord Jesus Christ is the source of this instruction. Uh, The New American Standard translates this verse You know what instructions we gave you by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul gave these instructions to the Thessalonians, but he claims it came directly from the Lord Jesus Christ. And all of this that we've just covered so far, all of this is really the build-up to the the, the first main or the first major exhortation of this letter, which is in verse 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that is that you abstain from sexual immorality. All right, we're going to get into that in detail, but I want to say a few things Just to preface that, Paul is not teaching against sex. He's preaching or teaching against immoral sex or unlawful sex. God created us as sexual beings, and that is what we are. And God said, that is good. Uh, He made you a boy or a girl, a man or a woman. And in the language of Genesis, he created us male and female. And he said, go, be fruitful and fill the earth. Uh, God designed us for sexual pleasure in marriage. And through the beauty of the sexual relationship between a man and a woman in marriage, babies would be born and the earth would be filled with people. And God commended that. He, he, he well, he, he commanded that and he commended that. <laughs> and he blessed it. He said, It's good. It's holy. But without Christ, or before coming to Christ, people generally get into sexual immorality of all kinds. Our sinful human nature manifests itself by resisting, ignoring, or rebelling against God's commands concerning sex. So, this is an area of life that must be transformed when a man or a woman or a young person comes to Christ. And it's no wonder, and I'm not going to go into it all today, but uh, in the culture that the uh, Thessalonians lived in, in that culture, there was such uh, terrible uh, sexual immorality everywhere around them. It's, it's no wonder uh, that Paul felt a need right away to teach them strongly uh, against sexual immorality. Then, before we go any further than that, I think we must emphasize to everybody here and make it absolutely clear that Jesus Christ forgives sexual sins. Uh, when we turn to Christ, all our sins, including our sexual sins, are completely covered by his blood. I've been listening to an audible book uh, by, or about John Newton. John Newton, of course, everybody's probably heard of him. Or If you haven't heard of him, you've, I know for sure you've heard of the song he wrote, Amazing Grace. And it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful song about how God saved, as John Newton puts it, how God saved a wretch like me. Uh, But before uh, John was saved, he was captain of a slave ship uh, transporting slaves from the coast of Africa to England in the 18th century. And I was, I'll admit, somewhat shocked to learn from this book that John Newton was involved in the, the terrible sin of sexual immorality with the African women slaves. And yet, God saved him out of the darkness of this horrible sexual sin. And that's why he said, that's why he sang uh, Amazing Grace to the end of his life. Many of the Christians in the church at Corinth had been involved in gross sexual sin. Uh, Paul wrote, Do not be deceived. Uh, Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who perform homosexual acts, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor verbal abusers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by the Spirit of our God. That's 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11. So, before we come back to the passage in 1 Thessalonians, there's four really important truths in this passage from Corinthians that I just read for you that are uh, so vital, especially for today's church or in today's culture. First, sexual sin is so serious in God's eyes that those who continually or persistently, habitually practice it, will be excluded from the kingdom of God. And Paul said, do not be deceived. That will happen. Don't uh, deceive yourself into thinking that that's not true. Second, some at Corinth were sexually immoral. Homosexuals, adulterers, some were thieves, and so on. And that just points out to me, I mean, I th- in, in some sense, I think this is such an amazing verse because it just tells us that God delights to save sinners. Uh, God delights to save sinners that are involved in, in, in what, what we would call the, the, the worst sins. Third, the, the Corinthians, the Christians, the believers were forgiven all of these sins. They were washed clean, they were justified, they were declared righteous in Christ. In Christ, God does not count these sins against us. Drunkenness, robbery, thi- being a thief, or all these, these other uh, sexual sins too. Fourth, They were no longer these people. Uh, This this little sentence, such were some of you. They were no longer thieves or adulterers or homosexuals nor drunkards, etc. Their lives were now dedicated to holiness. They were sanctified in the name of Jesus and by the work of the Spirit of God. And so one very important teaching for us today in our culture is to know that Christians, those who are in Christ, are no longer identified by their past sins. Nor are they to continue living in them. So I'm going to get very practical here which I think it would be Uh, kind of naive to not uh, say something like this in our present uh, environment, moral environment. If an unsaved person comes to this church and they are enslaved in sexual sin of any kind, including all the LGBTQ sexual sins, we will love them here and we will care about them here. But we must also preach the gospel of Christ to them, which includes both forgiveness of sins and repentance from sins and a new life, becoming a new person, new, a new creation. We cannot say that sexual sin of any kind is okay or it's just fine to continue on in it. And uh, in something that causes me much, much grief Uh, is that many churches today say that, well, in the name of love and inclusion, you can uh, just come into our church and continue on in your gay or lesbian lifestyle and still be on our worship team, uh, still be active in all the fellowship and ministry of the church, and we won't seek to change you or to free you from your sexual sin. Well, that is not New Testament Christianity. That is not the gospel. The gospel forgives sin and it frees from sin. Now, back to verse 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. It's the will of God. Sexual sin does harm you and other people, And there's some of that in this passage. There's other passages that Paul really talks about that, that while sexual sin is unique and it it harms you uh, like no other sin. It's it's a sin against yourself like no other sin. Peter says, uh, abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against your soul. Okay, so sexual sin do harm you. But the big problem is that sexual sin is against God. It's not His will. And people say or think that, well, we're not hurting anybody else. Well, that is a lie, but that isn't the primary issue. The primary issue that sexual sin is uh, against, it goes against, it's hostile toward God because God's will is your holiness. Now, the word abstain... Uh, literally means to separate yourself from something. Uh, put some distance between yourself and any kind of sexual sin. It's like what, what Paul said a couple different places. Flee from sexual immorality. The words uh, that is translated sexual immorality is pornea. Uh, it's a broad term uh, that includes all kinds of sexual sin, uh, or sexual uh, fornication. But it, it, it covers it all. It's, it's not aimed at just one particular sexual sin. Uh, it includes adultery, uh, homosexuality, uh, pornography, uh, having sex before marriage, uh, which we euphemistically call living together in our culture. Uh, but it, in the Bible, it's called pornic- uh, fornication or pornia. Verse four: This is the will of God that each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. All right. So this is written, this letter, this instruction is written to the whole church, but it gets very personal. Or I should maybe should say, Paul gets very personal. He says, each one of you should control your own body. Uh, control, And he says, controlling your own sexual desires, your own body, is, is, it, it's contrasted to the out-of-control sexual passions of lust common among the Gentiles who do not know God. Now, when Paul used the term Gentiles here, he's just talking about the unbelieving world, the unbelieving culture, people who do not know God. And he says, you and I as believers, we are to learn, and I'm not saying it's easy. And Paul isn't saying it's easy, but he's saying we need to learn to how to control our own bodies in honor and in holiness, not like people who do not know God. Because they just, they, they just live out of control. They do whatever their passions tell them to do, basically. It's interesting that he says, control your body in holiness and honor. Uh, we've already said that, that sex between a man and a woman within marriage is holy and honorable. Uh, sex outside of the beauty and safety of God's plan is unholy, and there's dishonor or shame With it, and again, I come back to this phrase uh, that this control over our bodies is not like the Gentiles or people who do not know God, the unbelievers. And Paul adds this, I believe, because he he knows fully that his instructions to the Thessalonians. His instructions are completely at odds with the Gentile culture in which they live. So he's saying, I want you to live this way, not like the Gentiles in your culture. We are marching to the beat of a different drum. Because we take our views on sex from God, not from the culture. We are to control our bodies in a way that is so different from the unbelieving world. Uh, And this is hard, partly because we do have sexual desires, and there's a temptation to fulfill those desires outside of the bounds of God's will. But this call to sexual purity is also hard because of the the power of the pressure to conform to God the Gentiles, the, the pressure to conform to the culture, the pressure to conform to those who do not know God. And that's, that's why Paul, in another place, in the book of Romans 12, 1 and 2, said to present your bodies. As believers, now that we know all the mercies of God, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, and do not be conformed to this world. And that's essentially what Paul is telling the Thessalonians. Uh, he says, hey, God's called you by his mercy and grace. You belong to Jesus Christ. Your lives, your bodies, everything about you belongs to him. And so that means you are no longer going to live like the rest of the people in the world in which you inhabit. Uh, verse 6, it is the will of God that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this world matter. I'm going to say it uh, as boldly but as respectfully as I can as d- but, but I, wa- I want to be director. I think we have to be director. Sex before marriage, sex outside of marriage, pornography, homosexual relations all wrong other people. Uh, the New American Standard says let no one defraud his brother in these, in these matters. Uh, sexual sin takes advantage of or cheats or defrauds someone else. Uh, the adulterer defrauds his spouse and children. Uh, premarital sex defrauds your future spouse. Uh, consenting adults, which somehow is supposed to be okay, but consenting adults pull each other into spiritual death and judgment. Uh, People defend sexual sin by saying, but we love each other, so it's got to be okay. Uh, But sexual sin never is seeking the highest good of the other person. It is pulling them into sin against God. It's causing them to stumble. Uh, Becoming partners with someone in sin is, is not loving them. It's never loving them. Verse 6 goes on, do not transgress or wrong your brother in these things because the Lord is the avenger in all these things as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. If, if you think Paul's already been strong enough and he's, and he's going to back off, uh, no. He, he just takes it on to the next level. Because the Lord is the avenger in all these things. Uh, Human courts won't punish anybody, at least today, for sexual sin, but the Lord will. He is the avenger of sexual sin. You might say, wow, that's strong or that makes me afraid. Well, I think it's supposed to. It's supposed to strike a certain kind of godly uh, fear and reverence in you. Do you really want the Lord to take action against you? Do you want to jeopardize yourself like that? Paul said this is a solemn warning and so if if I did not present this as a solemn message uh, I would not be being faithful to my God and my Lord and to the Word of God so it has to be and we have to just preach and teach exactly right what 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 Paul says here it's Again, it's not just Paul, it's not just me, it's the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is the avenger in all these things. Uh, God always takes the side of what is right and just and true. You know, Peter said God is opposed to the proud. Well, Paul's saying here God also opposes the sexually immoral. He avenges what is against his kingdom. God defends his kingdom and his righteousness and he he avenges what is against it. He will not bless sexual immorality. Now, I think even from this passage and going back to the very beginning of it, the main motive for all of us to live in sexual obedience to God ought to be that we love God and want to please God more and more. But if someone chooses not to be compelled by that, uh, there are fearful reasons to keep you from sexual sins. Uh, the writer of Hebrews wrote to to those believers, Jew, Jewish believers scattered about. He's about he said that uh, the marriage bed is to be held in honor, uh, but f- he said fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Uh, Generally, I I think, as a pastor, I I feel like I'm called to be very very gentle um, in in calling people to live their lives for the Lord Jesus Christ. But I have no problem giving the strongest warning to someone who claims to be a Christian, but who is engaging in ongoing sexual sin. Uh, There is mercy and forgiveness for the one caught in sexual sin, but the one who is walking in negligence of God's instruction uh, ought to be warned. Many people think their relationship with God is uh, disconnected with how they live in this area, and there, there are some, there are few, hopefully not more than a few, but there are some who just seem to blow off the warnings of Scripture in this area uh, too lightly, far too lightly. And sometimes I have had encounters with believers who are just even assuring themselves as they continue to live in sexual sin that they have nothing to worry about. Well, to that I simply say, read your Bible. Verse 7, For God has not called us to impurity, but to holiness. What a statement. I mean, there's just so many great statements. Uh, I mean, Paul just builds argument upon argument upon why we should take the, the drastic steps to live sexually pure lives. For God has not called us to impurity, but to holiness. You know, a lot of us know and love that verse where Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. If you have heard the voice of Jesus saying, come, follow me, he didn't call you to sexual sin. He called you to holiness, to purity. That's just what Paul is saying here. Verse 8, therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Uh, The bottom line is if you would choose, and I I trust there's absolutely no one here this morning who would choose to go or or listening. to, this online, uh, that, no, that no one would, would choose to go against this teaching uh, in any kind of sin, whether continuing on in pornography, or homosexual sin, or heterosexual sin, or any other kind of sexual immorality. But if, if you do, uh, Paul just said, hey, I'm serving notice, you're not ignoring me. You are rejecting God. Uh, so, if you have a problem with what I'm saying this morning, and there, ho- hopefully I haven't gone beyond Scripture. I've tried to teach, stay right within the tone of this teaching, right within the the, the forcefulness of it, and the, right staying right down the middle with what God is saying here. Uh, but I- I- if if you if you are resisting uh, this, you're you're not you're not resisting me or Real Life Church or any church. Uh, or any other human being, you're disregarding God himself. And then Paul adds the phrase, who gives you his Holy Spirit. What makes this such a horrible offense to continue on uh, in sexual sin is that God gives his Spirit to you. The the, The best thing that ever happened to you is to receive the Holy Spirit. It's the greatest gift, the ultimate good and perfect gift that God gives to his children. It's, it's, it's way beyond every other blessing. When you think of blessings in life, uh, and we tend to think of, of you know, being blessed economically or with certain things or opportunities or, or even health, which I, I'm, I'm not belittling any of those, believe me, but the very best gift that you have or ever will receive is the Holy Spirit. And if God is so gracious as to give you such a big Gift, uh, then to ignore his instruction about your sexuality is really such ingratitude in and in in an offense against such a good and gracious God. Paul is probably also making the point that sexual immorality and the Holy Spirit just don't go together, don't mix. Uh, certainly, he says this in, in other passages in the New Testament. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, I, I like to make this clear. I uh, hope I haven't said it too many times, but it's, it's not just your mind that the Holy Spirit lives in, or your heart, or even your inner person somehow, although all of that is true. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And that reality must grip you to walk through the sexual filth of this world. And really, that is one of the main things. I mean, there's a lot of other things that Paul gives us here, but it's, one, it's just knowing. What's that song we sang this morning? Old one, I loved it. Your holy presence living in me. Is that the phrase, is that the word? Man, that has, that, we have to know that. Your holy presence living in me. In me, that is the greatest safeguard against sexual immorality and temptation. And we do, we do uh, live in, a, in a, just a, 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 a sexually perverse uh, world. There's just so much sexual filth and perversion and rebellion against God. So yeah, let's be people who know that his holy presence is, lives in us, and walk. Uh, walk in purity because of that. Now, apparently, uh, apparently, from what Paul said, the Thessalonians were already pleasing God, at least in some measure in this area. And he, said, he said, you guys, you already are doing this. You already are pleasing God, but now I, it, it, I urge you to excel still more. All right, I want to leave you with a, with a very clear uh, understanding or impression that, that you would go away from here knowing that, that you can please God, okay, you can please God by keeping yourself pure in this area. By abstaining from sexual immorality. you know I, One of the things I love about uh, Thessalonians is that throughout the book Paul's going to teach us that what we think are little things are really the, the will of God and the things that please God. What's he say later on in the book? This is the will of God that you pray without ceasing. That you Give thanks in all things, that you rejoice always. Here, for this is the will of God, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Sometimes we think we have to do something so spectacular to, to, praise, to please God, uh, that we have to uh, go be a missionary. But there's nothing wrong with that. Praise God for those who go and serve. Needed. But, uh, or we think we have to accomplish some great task but you can please the Lord your God. You can please the Lord Jesus Christ by keeping yourself pure in an impure world. That matters to God. And it's, it's one of the important ways that you please God. Let's stand and pray. I, I'm sure, uh, I sense that uh, this has not been an easy message for uh, some of us to hear. Uh, there may be those here this morning who just sense a deep need to come to God. Uh, maybe to come forward for prayer, to receive cleansing and forgiveness this morning. Uh, there may be some here this morning who uh, n- just know that you need to repent. You just you need to come. You've been dallying with uh, some of these sexual sins that we've been talking about this morning. And you know from the message this morning that you just need to kill those things. Like Josh's message last week, you just need to put them to death. Through the Spirit, and you need maybe you need to come to God or co- even come for prayer this morning, just for assistance in that. And I'll tell you for sure, we all need to watch and pray that we would not fall into temptation Amen. in this area and in every area. And let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Uh, I mean, one of the one of the parts of the of the Lord's Prayer is, "Lead us." not into temptation. Uh, that, hey, that, that's a really good daily prayer. Lord, keep me from sin today. Um, so those are things that we can all come to the Lord and pray about this morning. All right, Father, uh, we want to please you.